0: morning, Crossbridge. I have the uh, privilege of introducing our missions conference speaker this morning, uh, Dr. Paul Borthwick. Some of you who have been attending our missions conference this past weekend have maybe perhaps already heard him speak and share. But for those of you who haven't, Dr. Borthwick brings a wealth of experience and, and knowledge. He's currently serving on staff at Development Associates International, where he's focused on training and equipping leaders. And prior to that, he also served at Gordon College for over 30 years. And, and currently, uh, he and his wife, Chrissy, are also our neighbors living in Lexington uh, and are members of Grace Chapel. So let's turn our attention to him and welcome him together. power up here. Thank you, sorry. It's been a great privilege to be here. Um, What wasn't part of that biography was uh, that I was actually a youth pastor at Grace Chapel and then a missions pastor at Grace Chapel. I was only part-time at Gordon College, so if you went there and you didn't know who I was, it's because I wasn't there very often. But uh, I'm a local person. I grew up in Arlington, and I live now in Lexington, and I've never lived outside of Massachusetts, which is why I'm a global missions expert, uh, because I never have lived any other place long enough to really hate it. I'm actually quite enamored by the world in which we live. Um, There's a book table out back, and I hope that some of you are readers, and uh, somebody asked me twice this morning, somebody already asked which book would be the one I would recommend, Given that the theme this weekend is uh, from the neighborhood to the nations, right, uh, this is the one. It's called Great Commission, Great Compassion, and it's about living the gospel, main, mainly demonstrating compassion, Matthew 25, you know, the homeless, the uh, hungry, the, the uh, refugee, those kind of people. And then Great Commission is about making disciples of all the nations, and it's uh, highly user-friendly with lots of ideas no matter where you might live. And uh, you can check it out if you want to after the service. Um, this morning, to sort of uh, lay a foundation, or basically reaffirm CBCGB in terms of the future, because this is the 50th anniversary celebration, uh, I'm going to take us to a very, very basic scripture. John's Gospel chapter three, verse 16. How many of you know, by memory, John 3:16? Okay, almost everybody in Sunday school or when they first become Christians, this is the verse that they would memorize. And of course, it comes in the context of a conversation between uh, John, uh, excuse me, Jesus and Nicodemus, the religious leader, a Pharisee. And Nicodemus is sort of maybe afraid of the crowd, so he comes at night, sneaks in to see Jesus, brings in his questions. That's where Jesus says, you have to be born again. He talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the fact that he's going to die on the cross. He refers to an analogy from the Old Testament about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. But then he comes to this great verse. So if you can have it on screen, let's read it together. Uh, I don't know if you have it on screen. Do you have it on screen? Or we can recite it from memory if we want to. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I'm of the opinion that many of us as Christians know this verse so well that we never really think about it. I mean, sometimes uh, I was down south and somebody's license plate was jn 316 And even to this day, sometimes at sporting events, you'll see somebody hold up the reference as if to say that if you read this, maybe, you know, God will save you. And, uh, and usually they sit behind the goalposts or they sit you know, behind the, the, the team benches so that when the, mo- the, the camera spans, they, they get this verse online. But many of us don't even know what it is, especially in a secular culture like Boston. And uh, as a result, we as Christians need to know what it says because this verse, I believe, is the platform for living a globally oriented, locally focused life. So whether we're talking about reaching our neighbors or the nations, whether we're talking about going across the street or going across cultures, uh, we're talking the, you know the end of the street versus the ends of the earth. All of these can be found in at least just the first half because the verse is so packed. I'm just going to spend time on the first half. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. So if you want a quick review of where I'm going, the focus of Global Mission is that God is the great pursuer. God is the original missionary. God is the one who is already taking the initiative to go and wants lost people to come to him. We'll talk more about that. God is the great pursuer. Love is the great motive. The world is the great target and sacrifice is our foundation. So let's unpack it a little bit more because, like I said, I'm convinced that many times we know John 3.16, but we don't think about it in terms of what it means. Several years ago, my wife and I were talking. My wife's from Cambridge, and she has a very hard Boston accent. You know what I mean by that? It's hard. Sometimes you can't. She she actually referred to the angel of the Lord one time. I said, who the heck is the Lord? But uh, anyhow, so she and I were talking about why we do mission because I was a missions pastor and we do mission all the time traveling in different parts of the world why do we do it? you know and one answer is well we know so much about the world we know more about the world now than we ever knew even 50 years ago you know 50 years ago it, we would watch on the news three days after an earthquake hit Haiti now we have live cameras and we're watching the earthquake while it happens we know so much about the world and the needs of the world and the suffering people, whether it be the Kurds or whether it be somebody at a refugee camp. It's live news to us now. And I said, is that why we do it? Because we know so much? No, she says, no, that's not the reason. I said, well, maybe because of the global village, you know, people traveling from everywhere to everywhere. They estimate now that close to a billion people live in a country that they weren't born in. So there's a lot of migration of people. Or, or maybe it's just that the Christian church is so big, now we can do things we never did before. As I shared on Friday night, on any given Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, Jesus Christ is being worshipped in 2,000 languages across the world. From the Muslim world where they worship on Fridays, to Nepal, a Hindu kingdom where they worship on Saturdays, to people who worship on the traditional Sundays in many parts of the world. He said, no, none of those reasons. The reason why we do it, and here's her Boston accent speaking. He says, it's the heart of God I said the hat of God what are you talking no, about ha- God's heart you see our God is a missionary God let's look at those points one by one God is the great initiator the great pursuer I don't know if you remember the story in the, in the book of Genesis but Adam and Eve are told you know don't eat from this tree and they eat they're tempted they eat they hear God coming and they hide themselves. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God comes looking for them. So the end, you know, sin has entered the world, shame has entered the world, they realize they're naked, the Bible says, and they hide. And God comes looking for them. The first interchange between holy God and sinful, shamed human beings is a question. God says to them, where are you? Now, if you understand anything about the character of God as revealed in the Bible, God knows everything. He's everywhere present, and he's all-powerful. So he knew where they were. But he wanted them to know that he was looking. Unlike so many other religions, our God comes looking for us. We don't go climbing towards God. He comes looking for us. God is the great initiator, the great pursuer, And in Jesus' time, when he was walking the earth, he reiterated the same thing. He says in Luke chapter 15, he tells three different parables about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. Actually, two lost sons. And in every one of those parables, the character of God is reflected by the homeowner who sweeps clean the house looking for the lost coin or the shepherd who leaves behind the 99 and goes looking for the lost sheep or the father who goes out to welcome the lost younger son and then he goes out to welcome the lost older son and a few chapters later when Jesus is being criticized because he's having lunch with this guy Zacchaeus Jesus says his mission this way the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost it was mentioned that I taught for many years at Gordon College one of the courses I taught there was the survey of world religions and if you do any, survey, any work understanding the most world religions many world religions, if not most, are about trying to ascend towards nirvana trying to ascend towards moksha, trying to ascend towards paradise doing enough prayers, doing enough pilgrimages, doing enough altars of, uh, altars of incense to the ancestors all basically to try to sort of ascend spiritually But in Christianity, God comes looking for us. God comes looking for us. He says to us, where are you? I I want you back. I want you in a relationship with me. If you come from a Christian family, God's probably pursued you through your parents. Maybe not a Christian family, but you have a Christian friend. You know, we need to remember the people who pursued us in Jesus' name. Why? Because God is the pursuer. And if we're followers of Jesus, it's because God, through some relationship, or radio, or book, or something, God pursued us. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Maybe this morning you're here, and you've not yet made a commitment to following Jesus Christ. You know, you're not yet Christian. I'm here to remind you, God is saying to you, where are you? Where are you? I don't want you to be lost anymore. I don't want you to be insecure anymore. I want you in a relationship with me. But if we're followers of Jesus, maybe you've made that decision, maybe when you were four or 44, you know, I don't know when, but if you've made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, then he says to you, as i have pursued you now you go pursuing others as i have gone pursuing you now it's your time to pursue others here's what i mean god does his work in the world through you and me and his pursuing heart needs to become our heart going into the world looking for lost people because in a sense On Monday through Friday or any day of the week when you're working, you're in your neighborhood, you're with your friends, God is using you to be the voice that says, where are you? Where are you? Two things I want you to remember when you think about the fact that God is the pursuer. Number one, God is always going ahead of you. You don't go to mission to bring God to another country. You go to mission because God's pursuing those people and you're the voice of God on behalf of God, asking them how can you come, telling them how they can come into a relationship with Jesus. Uh, I do a lot of traveling, as maybe you heard if you were here Friday or Saturday night. And one of the most amazing parts of my travel is going into the Muslim world. Going into the Muslim world, every time I've heard a Muslim give their testimony of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, it involves a dream or a vision or a healing or even Jesus actually shows up in their room and you know it's amazing because my tradition we didn't really believe much in miracles and signs and wonders but the fact is God's not limited by my lack of belief God's doing some things in Egypt a woman shared her testimony she had a bad eye and she had eye surgery a detached retina is called they corrected it, it it ruptured again detached retina again she had a second surgery the third time they said there's too much scar tissue you're going to go blind She's muslim and she and her husband prayed to jesus because in the quran jesus is the only prophet who heals so if you have a muslim friend and they're sick tell them to pray to jesus it's in the quran so she prayed to jesus to heal her eyesight And she testified that she and her husband were in the bedroom praying, and Jesus appeared and touched her and healed her. And that began the process of her following Jesus. She eventually became a follower of Jesus by talking to Christians who helped her understand what it means. But God was going ahead of her, preparing the way in advance. Several of my friends live in Waltham, and they have a deep desire to reach out to students coming from mainland China and every Saturday when it's a nice day they walk around Waltham praying that God will lead them to students from mainland China right I said what's the most amazing story she goes well one time we were walking around on a Saturday morning and these four Chinese scholars were coming towards us people doing postgrad work at MIT and she said and and we talked to them and we said do you have any questions they were just trying to be friendly and the men said, well, we have a question about history, because it's a big history area for American history. And then they said, the second question they said was, we're from People's Republic, and we're from the Communist Party, but could you take us to church? That was their second question. God was preparing them in advance. And they said, we can, sure, we can take you to church. Why do you want to go to church? Well, we heard it was part of American culture. And so we want to go see church. And we wanted to go to church, but the only church near us was our lady of something. So we thought it was a ladies' church. So they invited them to come, and they came to church for the very first time. God is going ahead of us, preparing people. The people you live with, the people you go to school with, the people in your workplace, the people in the next cubicle, be praying that God would prepare their hearts for you as you're going into their world, if you would. Another story, one of my favorites that I told in the earlier service today, was at a church down in, um, in Pennsylvania, and at this church they had a big ministry welcoming international students, but they also had a ministry where they prayed for unreached people groups or ethnic-specific groups that didn't have a pretty, any kind of dynamic Christian witness or Christian church in that ethnic group. So they had a, a September Welcome to America dinner for all the international students, but they also had all over the church these posters that said, Pray for the Miao. The Miao is an ethnic-specific group in northern Thailand, Cambodia, and into South China. Right? And the Miao don't have a real dynamic uh, church planting or church ministry yet, so this church for five years had been praying for the Miao. So they were praying for the Miao and hosting international students. They invited me to come speak at the banquet, sort of a, it wasn't really a big evangelistic banquet, it was more of a welcome to America banquet, right? And I'm speaking, and, uh, and, but outside, before we go in, this young man comes to me, I can tell by his face he's from East Asia, if not China, and he says, uh, he says, excuse me, are you new at this church, or are you from this church? I said, no, I'm new, I'm a visitor, this is my first time here. He said, my first time too, first time in any church. I'm a master's student at the university nearby, and I've been sent by my government to get my master's degree. But I've come to this church because I want to know something about church and American culture, but also I heard tonight there's food. And, you know, food is always a great evangelistic tool, right? And so he had come. He says, can I ask you a second question? I said, what's the second question? What is this poster? And he points to it. Pray for Meow. What does this mean? Pray. Now you try explaining to someone who's never been to church before that Christians follow Jesus and they're praying, and you know, but I did my best. And he says, it's most amazing. I said, what's most amazing? Pray for meow. I said, what's amazing? He says, I am meow. These are my people. God's so much pursuing the meow. This church had been praying for five years and now God brought the meow to them. That's our God. Be praying for people. If you have Muslim friends especially, pray for them to have dreams and revelations and and maybe an appearance of an angel because God prepares their hearts that way. The second thing about God being the pursuer is that God sends us. In the Gospel of John, including John 3.16, the word sent appears more than 40 times. Jesus is referring to his relationship with God. For this reason I was sent, or the Father has sent the Son. I was not sent to condemn the world, which comes later in John 3. Right? But on John, in John 20, verse 21, on Easter night, the focus of sent changes. Jesus says to the disciples, As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to ask God if you are sent. You only have to ask God where you are sent. In other words, we're sent. How many of you live in Lexington or in the surrounding communities? Raise up your hands. Okay. How many of you live in eastern Massachusetts? Let's make it a little broader. I mean, this is where you're living right now. I'm not telling your family home. I'm saying where you live. Should be like 100%. Some of you are dozing, but anyhow. um, How many of you are sent by God to eastern Massachusetts? Okay, about six. All right, let me give you something very philosophical. I know that many of you are in school. Philosophically, you cannot be where you're not. You can only be where you are. If this is where you are, this is where you're sent. God may send you someday to Berserkistan. Just checking your geography. Check that out when you get home. Google it. Yeah, God may send you to Berserkistan, but if this is where you are, this is where you're sent. If I live in Lexington, I'm sent there. Not just to, not just across the ocean to somebody who is from Sri Lanka, but to the Sri Lankan lady who lives across the street from me. I'm not just sent to India, which I which I visited earlier this month or last month, but I'm also sent to the Indian guy who's her husband, and to the lady who's a Punjabi, who's my who's my uh, my pharmacist. You see what I'm saying? Turn to your neighbor and say that you are sent. Why are we sent? Because God is the great pursuer. And he does his pursuing in the world through human avenues. That's namely you and me. God is the great pursuer. Love is the great motive. Love. Not condemnation. Not running away from the world. Loving the world in Jesus' name. Doing acts of kindness to people in Jesus' name. Reaching out in love to the newcomer, to the immigrant, to the refugee. Looking for opportunities to serve our neighbors. The other, yesterday, it was a very windy day. Two days ago, sorry. It was a very windy day. And my neighbors across the street, Sri Lankan Indian couple, they always put their trash out too early. And it almost always blows over. And it almost always blows all the way down the street. Right? And my wife and I almost always say, why do they put their trash out so early, you know? And we get kind of bitter about it. But you know the way I just demonstrated love this week? I picked up their trash, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And you know, because of that, they became Christians and are now, no, that's not true. Uh, (laughs) Because of that, they're going to put their trash out early next week. That's really what's going to happen. But it's love. It's love. One guy who has dedicated his life now to reaching the Muslim world, he said, when you see the word Islam, think of it as saying, I sincerely love all Muslims. The Bible never commands us to love Islam. Islam is the system. Muslims are the people. In uh, in April of 2013, some of you might remember, there was a big uh, bomb at the Boston Marathon and all sorts of things were saying in the news about Muslims. And I do, I do travel a lot, so two weeks after the Boston Marathon bombing, I'm in Logan Airport. And, uh, and, you know, love can be just being friendly. And so I'm standing there waiting for my flight to board, and over here there's a little table, there's a young woman there, she has a hijab on, the head covering of a Muslim woman, and she's standing, she sells newspapers and gum and candy, those kind of things. And she's standing there all by herself. And I felt like the Lord said to me, go speak to her. So I know just a greeting in Arabic that Muslims will use to greet each other. So I went over and I said to her, Salaam alaikum, which means peace be upon you or something like that. And she starts crying and crying. I mean, she's like sobbing. And, you know, whenever you say a phrase in somebody else's language, you're always worried that you said the wrong thing. Like, you know, did I just say death to Islam or what did I say, you know? uh, you know, or did I say, you know, hey, babe, what's up? You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure. She starts crying, so I finally said, why are you crying? She goes, oh, no. I said, did I say the right thing? She goes, oh, yes, yes, alaykum salam, which is the way they respond. She goes, but you're the first human being who has spoken to me in two weeks. Because of all the negative press about the Boston Marathon bombers, all Muslims were lumped into this category that no one wanted to talk to. And my friends, if there are Muslims in your neighborhood, if there are Muslims in your school, if there are Hindus and Buddhists, God brought them here because you're Christian and I'm Christian. They might not be able to hear the gospel in their own countries, but they can hear it here. You go to Boston University, you can reach out to 50 or 60 or 70 students from Saudi Arabia. You can invite them to Thanksgiving dinner. Just don't serve pork. All right? But the the bottom line is, we're sent into the world to do acts of love, and hospitality is one of those basic ingredients. Love is the great motive. The world is the target. Now you have to go back to the context for a minute. Jesus, who's a rabbi, and you know, a Jewish rabbi, and Nicodemus, who's a Jewish Pharisee, Nicodemus would have expected his fellow rabbi to say to him, God so loved the Jews. Or God so loved the people of Israel, or the Hebrews, or the 12 tribes, or something like that. But I'm sure he he rocked Nicodemus's world when he says, God so loved the world. And I think Nicodemus would have gone like, you know what? Uh, and then he would have realized that in his own testament, it said, Declare my glory among the nations, my wonderful deeds amongst all peoples. Even in Isaiah. The, the prophet Isaiah speaking on, as God says, you know, God says, it's too small for me to be concerned only for the people of Israel. He says, I've made you a light of revelation to the nations that all the ends of the earth might fear me. God's purposes for the Israelites was not to keep it all to themselves as chosen people, God's purpose was to choose them so they would be a light to the nations. So, God so loved the world is not a new concept that Jesus is giving Nicodemus nicodemus had to remember the text in the bible that reminded him of the fact that god so loved the world every person not just people from my scottish heritage or from my american citizenship you know i like to remember remind people that the the work of god in the world is not to make america great again it's to make the kingdom of jesus great you know my first loyalty is to declare jesus among the nations And that means God's bigger than just any specific group, whether you're Miao or Han or Korean or something else. God so loved the world. And when you realize that, it changes the way you look at people. When you see people from other cultures, you remember the fact that God so loved the world. I shared this story in another session, but one of my professors said whenever you see someone who obviously is from another world religion but they're in their midst, your midst pray for them because you might be praying for someone who's never been prayed for before in Jesus' name in my own church of Grace Chapel I was teaching a Sunday school class one time and I said God might call you to the ends of the earth or he might just call you to reach out to the Cambodian Buddhist ladies at Stop and Shop and during the question and answer period the lady raises her hand she goes, those ladies at Stop and Shop who you said are Cambodian Buddhists, how did you know? I said, how did I know what? That they were Cambodian Buddhists, she said. And she thinks I, maybe because I travel so much, I looked at their name or maybe a symbol on their jewelry. Must be a Buddhist, must be from Cambodia. You know, that must, Maybe she was thinking I was profiling in that way. She goes, how did you know? I said, well, here's a radical thought. She goes, what? I said, I asked, I asked them. I said, where are you from? They said, Cambodia. I said, are you Buddhist? They said, yes. It was amazing. I mean, it's like revolutionary discussion. In, in a church that I visited in another place, I was meeting with the mission committee, and the mission committee, right, the mission committee has lunch at the equivalent of Panera's every Sunday. And they're a real tight-knit fellowship group. And while we're meeting at Panera's for lunch, There's a lady in the back washing dishes. She has the hijab on of a Muslim. And the mission committee, people were looking over. She's a Muslim, you know. And I said, I think she knows. You don't have to whisper. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then I said, they go there every week. I said, what's her name? Oh, we don't know. Is she a Shiite, a Sunni, a Sufi? What kind of Muslim? I don't know. She go to a prayer center or a mosque in time? I don't know. This is the mission committee had never even greeted this girl. God so loved the world, including the dishwasher at Panera's. It's opening your eyes. It's doing a walk around your neighborhood, a walk down your campus. It's making yourself available to God and getting early to your lab like my wife would do and praying over all the workstations. Because God so loved the Gujarati guy she worked with, worked with in the micro lab. And, and this person who was from here and this person from that background. God so loved the world one of the ways that i love to stimulate your prayer for the world is to encourage you when you go home today change clothes even into your pajamas look on the label of your clothes and pray for that country you know what i'm talking about the made in i guarantee you you are wearing the world on your back some of you are carrying the Muslim world, the Hindu world or the Buddhist world, right? And then when you start praying for that, I always pray this shirt today was made in Bangladesh and I always pray not only for my shirt but for where it was made. Maybe it was made in a sweatshop and I need to be concerned about justice issues, right? And I, but I envision this because God works through prayers and God so loves the world and he's preparing and going ahead of us. I like to envision a day in heaven, right? Where we're worshiping Jesus and a guy comes over to me with a big beard and kind of a, you know, a robe on, sandals, and, hello, my name is Abdul Abdullah from Bangladesh. I made your shirt. Because God will work. I pray for the guy who makes my shirt. I don't know if I'll ever meet him, but God is bigger than us to understand that. I'd love to have the day when he comes and says to me, because you prayed that day, I read in the history books of heaven, the day you prayed, I heard a a radio broadcast, I started a correspondence course, I became a friend with Christians, and ten years of friendship later, I became a follower of Jesus. Why can I believe that? Because God so loves the world. But the last thing is especially relevant, because if God is the great pursuer and love is the great motive, and the world is the great target, then the fourth point is that sacrifice is at the foundation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. If you're going to be involved in God's mission, if you're going to be obedient and be sent, it's going to involve some sort of sacrifice. It might be social sacrifice. Maybe you will lose some friends because you decided to befriend Abdul Abdullah. You know, maybe, maybe some of your Christian friends will back off from you because you're reaching out to people who are from a different religion or a different culture. You know, it could cost you socially. It could cost you financially. You know, maybe you want to be a plastic surgeon and go work in Beverly Hills, but God calls you to go out as a plastic surgeon and repair cleft palates in some country in Asia. You know? Maybe God's going to call you to some place where you literally might lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. But we already sang it: "I will go where you tell me; I will follow where you show me." That kind of thing—that's that's that's a spirit of sacrifice. It might be financial; it might be social, but it's all part of God's John three sixteen message. So, my question for you this afternoon is this: Are you a person willing to live out the message of John three sixteen? from the neighborhood to the nations, to be a person who joins God in pursuing lost people, to demonstrate the love of God to the world in which we live, to cross cultural barriers because God so loved the world, and be willing to do the sacrifices necessary to get the message out. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this most basic verse because it challenges every aspect of our lives. Open our eyes this week to see the people you've called us to, the cultures you want us to cross, the love you want us to give, and even the sacrifices. Help us to be willing and strong to do those. We pray that you'll help us to live out the message of John 3.16. Amen.